We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. From the files of Schlock and Awe, welcome to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature. Here are your hosts, Matty Budrevich and Dave Wayne. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! No! No! Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Natural Selection, the Creature Feature podcast with myself, Dave Wayne, and my good friend, Matty Budrevich. Hello. So today, what have we got for you? We've got the two they's. Mm-hmm, that is correct. We have got They Nest from the year 2000 and They Crawl from 2001. Um, very simple, really. We've talked a lot about uh, giant critters, basically. Everything we've looked at so far with the, uh, what exception of Rottweiler, mm-hmm. it, it all tends to be like a giant crocodile, mm, mm. a giant snake, um, a giant octopus. This time, I really wanted us to touch on um, bugs, basically. Yeah, Something yeah. smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Because there's that great tradition of direct-to-video bug movies yeah. um, that started springing up in the 90s. So just to give a little bit of context on that, we've got Arachnophobia. Of course, yeah. Which, fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Released 1990, you know, because goes on to become a cult favourite, very well reviewed, very well regarded, and rightly so. Yeah. Throughout the 90s, after that, you've got a few little other bug shockers. We've got Ticks, mm-hmm. aka Infested, the great Brian Usner production about, uh, well, mutant ticks. Mm-hmm. You've got Skeeter, um, of and you've got Mosquito by uh, Creature Feature Hall of Famer <laughs> Gary Jones. So, happily, that sort of tradition carried on uh, into the noughties when all these other giant creature features mm. were becoming popular. We get these two little bug movies, uh, both of which are about cockroaches. Yeah. It also introduces us to two companies we haven't yet covered. Obviously, mm-hmm. the first few episodes, we've we've run the gamut of legendary you know, B-movie production houses. We started mm-hmm. with New Image. We went on to Fantastic Factory. We did, um, you know, Philip J. Roth and UFO last month. So this episode, we've got to, I wouldn't say like my favourite, but I mean, these guys are indispensable. Mm-hmm. We have Cinetel, of course, and Krishna Locke. Yeah, yeah. We So They Nest uh, was produced by the Kushner Lock Company, mm-hmm. uh, which was founded in March 1983 by lawyer-turned-producer Donald Kushner, who would uh, produce Tron, yeah. um, and Peter Locke, who'd previously produced Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. Um, Kushner Lock were based on Wilshire Boulevard in uh, Brentwood, LA, uh, and they perhaps most famously, if like us, you know, you fancy yourself as B-movie kind of historians... Kushner Lock are probably most famous for partnering with Charles Band's uh, Full Moon in the mid-90s after Band had split from his 
most successful deal with Paramount uh, and was unable to land a partnership with Disney. Yeah, well, you know, for most of the 80s, during the early years of Cushion Lock, they, they sort of involved themselves mainly in television stuff um, and also kid stuff. Remember the Brave Little Toaster, anyone? Um, that was theirs. Um, and while they maintained a steady output, it wasn't until this um, partnership with Full Moon came about that things went absolutely off the charts. I mean, by the time they filed for bankruptcy in 2001, they had a production slate of about 300 films in the can, uh, which is just crazy. And 80, 80 of those came between the partnership of Charlie Band and Cush Locke, although it was mainly Peter Locke that was a friend of Charlie's with them both going back to the 70s but some of the most uh, pivotal full moon films came with this this collaboration things like uh, Oblivion, Shrunken Heads and Castle Freak for example in the very early days and even if um, even if they weren't perhaps cranking out the most uh, well remembered ones when they went under in 2001 we are quite fans of things like um, Voodoo Academy and Mm -hmm. um, even Demonicus can I say that? Uh, yeah, no. in the right mood, and, yeah. the, and, and of course, Witch House as well, which, which was House. like probably one of Full Moon's uh, big biggest success stories since, oh, since the original Puppet Master, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. which obviously directed by the the great David Dakota, yeah. um, cashed in on the the Blair Witch craze, mm-hmm. even though it's what well, ostensibly Night of the Demons. Yeah, but it wasn't just Full Moon as well. They were doing films outside that rate off that radar as well. You know. For example, a couple that I really like are things like uh, Ted Demi's Noose, which is a great mm-hmm. little DTV. Yeah. Uh, Avi Nash's Taxman with Joe Pantoliano, which I really do like. I've, I've written about that film, and I, I, I think it's amazing. Mario Azapardi's <laughs> Bone Daddy, yeah. which I know you're a big fan big of. Big fan of Bone Daddy. Cla- a classic slice of uh, how exploitation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Into that as well, I'd just throw Matthew Bright's Freeway. Oh, of course. Which the is just a, a fantastic, fantastic yeah, lunatic movie and that falls that, that, that straddles the outside full moon inside full moon yeah. bad thing doesn't it really yeah. But, but, well yeah as you said the second one confessions were tricky yeah yeah, yeah. Does. yeah. Um, so that's Crystal Locke who of course were behind They Nest while they crawl it's, it, I can sense this episode's going to get very it confusing is, it? <laughs> uh, They Crawl was, was the um, was the well was funded by Cinetel, who of course had um, their foundations uh, almost at a similar time as Krishna Locke, um, you know, being created in 1980, where they uh, went under the banner Chicago Teleproductions before finally morphing into Cinetel. In 1983, they were started by Paul Hertzberg and his uh, production partner Lisa M. Hansen, who joined shortly afterwards, where a visit to Cannes with rather unsaleable entertainment shows showed that a change of direction would be a good idea uh, into more sort of genre-related um, stuff. You know, I think the first film they came out with was Courier of Death, which sold immediately, and uh, it led them to switch focus onto more sort of uh, action. Action and genre-tinged yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at uh, you look at Cinetel, mm. you look at Hertzberg's CV, um, ostensibly it's a lot of... Early Fred Olin Ray work was in their canon. You know, they backed Armed Response, mm-hmm. uh, Cyclone, Bulletproof. Um, you know, before going on to expand with 
uh, a couple of cool cult horror titles, yeah. 976 Evil 1 and 2, um, the latter of which began uh, a long association with the great Jim Wynorski, mm-hmm. which um, continues to this day. My, some of my favourites, the Relentless series, yes. a Sinatel mm-hmm. Productions, you know, Relentless 1, 2, 3 and 4, mm-hmm. fantastic serial killer thrillers. Um, but... What's interesting uh, about Sinatel is that eventually they became one of Sci-Fi's uh, main supplies of product. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in that Saturday Night Monster movie, we had the likes of Project Viper, mm. Gargoyle's Revenge, Komodo vs. Cobra, Caved In, AI Assault, Bone Eater, Troglodyte, most of these, of course, being Jim Wynorski flicks. <laughs> but... This links in with what we said last episode about supply and demand. Yeah. Now, whereas Kushner Lock, they weren't necessarily in the sci-fi business because, no. as we'll go on to discuss, uh, they nest in fact debuted on the USA network. That's right. However, Kushner Lock were making films to the demands of the video market. Sinatel, who produced They Crawl, were very much doing the same. And a lot, it just so happened a lot of their Cinetel stuff links in with the sci fi sort of vogue that we've been exploring. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. Dr. Ben Cahill was looking for a second chance. There's just a certain amount of resentment here from mainlanders. I know, I can feel that. A place to start over. Why don't you sit down and have a drink? I don't drink. Well, I think you picked the wrong place to dry out. But on Orr's Island, Something is lurking below the surface. You won't mind lending me your expertise for a while. Somebody's sick? Somebody's dead. What do you think, Doc? These marks here. He's caused by crabs. Something's not right about this. Final tells us you've got a little bug problem. Maybe you want us to come out and take a look. How bad is this roach problem? You think I put bugs in your refrigerator? Yeah, that's right, I do. We're all in a lot more trouble than I thought. Why? Because it looks like these animals are eating from the inside out. They bite their prey and paralyze them in order to lay their eggs inside the host. This just keeps getting better. There's a trailer for They Nest there, a.k.a. Creepy Crawlers, which um, you said it debuted on, on, on the USA Network? Mm-hmm, that's correct. It, uh, it premiered on the USA Network on, in uh, July 2000. Mm. Now, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between the actual dates that it was shown. Um, Fangoria issue 194 um, reckon that it was going to be shown on the 11th of July. Right. IMDb, however, which we know never to take that as gospel, claims that it was the 25th of July. Uh, both of the days were Tuesdays, and doing a little bit of detective work, I would probably say that they nest premiered on the 25th of July purely because a preview was ran in the Daily Variety the day before, <laughs> and it was quite a good review. It recommended the movie, you know, and it, and it talked up its achievements and 
made it sound like what it is, which is a quality little bug movie. Mm. Um, I would like to add, though, now this I found very, very interesting, that the USA Network had previously shown new images, Crocodile, Spiders, Octopus, and Shark Attack 2, as part of something that they called Critter Week right. in October 2000. Uh, it was sh- They were shown between the 9th and the 13th of October, so what, uh, three, four months after yeah, yeah, yeah. they nest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this was before sci-fi had picked up Right. the new image stuff to okay. play them in, in syndication <laughs> stuff um, obviously it just proves that the director video world is such an incestuous yeah. confusing and borderline impossible to pin down animal when it comes to any sort of accuracy Dude. because if there was that much stuff just getting pinged out to TV getting pinged out to video to DVD mm. it's amazing that there's any sort of accuracy in the data at all mm-hmm. uh, but anyway the actual film. The actual film is um, is amazing. It, it takes us to Maine, to Ore Island, which is the soon-to-be home of uh, Dr. Ben Cahill, who's mm-hmm. having a bit of a tough time at work. He's a he's a doctor, but he's uh, he likes a, a drink every now and then, and alcohol and um, open heart surgery don't really <laughs> mix. So um, after an incident on the job, um, Dr. Ben is advised to maybe take some time away. So he goes to a house that. Uh, he and his ex-wife bought in the uh, in the small fishing community, and um, it's a bit of a run-down place. And the town itself, well, the island itself, uh, or island, is 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 quite. Uh, they don't back, take backwards. too kindly to newcomers, <laughs> but quite a backwards, um, incestuous. You know, everyone knows each everyone other. Everyone knows each other. Uh, if you are a stranger, you're going to be welcomed with about as much enthusiasm as yeah. a fart in a space suit. And they despise him because, you know, that house was, mm. you know... It happened to be the, uh, what, the, the legacy yeah. of John Savage's character, who is yeah. a repellent, oh, he's horrible. awful yeah. sort of little man with a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> the house should have been mine, now this stranger from the yeah. city has moved into it. It's, it's a perfect John Savage character, really, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's someone he does so well. Um, so that's it. Initially, you've just got that battle between um, Jack Wald, mm. who, uh, who's John Savage's character, and also, coincidentally, he's the island electrician, so he can control the uh, the electricity electricity to um, to, to uh, yeah. Doctor so, Ben's uh, lovely, which uh, of course hideout. he uses to oh, make, yeah. because he doesn't want him living in the family homestead that should have been his. No, Savage's character starts a low-level campaign of harassment <laughs> against him. Now, of course, while that's going on, a body happens to have washed up on the shore of this little fishing community, mm. which just so happened to have a cockroach crawl from out of its mouth. Yeah. Uh, this body was the one we'd seen in the film's uh, sort of preamble, mm-hmm. uh, which involves a man being thrown overboard and having his mouth taped shut beforehand. So it becomes pretty obvious that there is some nasty bugs about to get loose in this little fishing place. Yeah, and the man who wants to sort of get to the bottom of this is the sheriff, um, who is played by one of my heroes, Dean Stockwell, who's uh, he's amazing, isn't he? He's Mr. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Dean Stockwell as a sheriff. He's Dean Stockwell. I mean, you know, if ever you needed the most basic rudimentary notion to, to go out and buy this film, it's just Dean Stockwell, really. You, you need, you know, we, we, we should yell cut now and, and, and go home. Because, um, yeah, he's great. He's just a laid-back sheriff who, you know, quite... It doesn't have an issue with uh, Dr. Ben and 
he knows he can utilise him as trying to get to the bottom of this weird case. Yeah, especially as when all these strange deaths start happening mm. that, in, that involve bite marks because of these cockroaches that have landed on the island and that are starting to cause mayhem around the town. Mm-hmm. Although we'll get into the mayhem bit because that's, to me that's the big failing of the movie. What it does do well though, it, it lives up to its AKA. It's a very creepy film. Yeah. It's got a great wet look to it. It does. You know, it's got what I imagine Maine to be like. (laughs) Yeah, but against the contrast of Dr. Ben's shiny red car, Mm. which has Mm. that great sort of, you know, that is that that, that great contrast of him showing up in this, you know, brightly coloured thing, clashing against this very drab, washed out kind of palette to Mm. show him as the the eyesore in the community, the, 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 uh, you know, the big guy from out of town. Well, what speaks to me about that is that the whole film, if you take away the bugs, mm. and it's about the conflict of these people who don't want to move on from how things are, yeah, yeah. to this figure who is represents the fi- he's the figure of progress. Mm. John Savage's character, he's got his little gaggle of lackeys, these good old boy cracker types, <laughs> and they all hate they hate out of towners, they hate yeah. progress as well. Um, what I like is if you wanted to draw a parallel with another creature feature, it's a motif presented in Toby Hooper's Crocodile. Yeah. You know, it's this idea of a group that are so set in their ways and hanging on to the past. Metaphorically, they're then confronted by that past in the form of a, you know, a primordial force, a primal force of these insects. Mm. Uh, and I like that idea in, in the sense that it's, it's the past that ultimately proves to be the undoing of these people who are living in the past. Yeah, because yeah. they fear progress, mm-hmm. but at the same time, here's a natural force coming to wipe you out. Yeah, you can't yeah. get much more primitive than that. No, no, no. It's not fully realised by any stretch, but I think you can you can read a sort of millennium bug analogy into it. Mm-hmm. You know, that this fear of returning to the past while sim- simultaneously looking nostalgically back at it. How, yeah. how how the Ben Cahill character represents progress and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not great. It's not the, the best man versus nature kind of thing, but it, it works within the framework of the movie. Uh, it, it as you say proves gives some nice visual cues with the contrast of his red car against the the wet grey washed out look of this main island, and it adds, it adds just a nice bit of drama. Yeah, I thought the bugs were good as well. You, you know, mm-hmm. you got mm-hmm. uh, t- uh, Terry Sunderhoff on FX there. Who of course started out with Cracker Jack, Bordello of Blood, and weirdly uh, the same year he did the uh, the little TV movie They Nest. He also did Final Destination. Oh wow! Um, but I thought you know compared to say the film we're going to discuss next, I thought this was streets ahead in terms of yeah. bug gore and bug, bug action realism. And stuff. Now, it, before we get into the sort of structure of how the bugs go about. Uh, they use two types of actual cockroach right. on this film. They use the Madagascar hissing cockroach, mm-hmm. uh, which is about three inches long, and a giant cave cockroach, which uh, has wings and is much bigger than the Madagascar hissing cockroach. <laughs> uh, the insect wrangler was a guy named Brad McDonald, who was assisted by someone called Jay Patterson, and they used between 500 and 600 on them on mm. the entire movie the most used between 200 and 300 in one singular right. in one single shot great bug carnage it does mm-hmm. take a while to get going but yeah, once yeah. it does you know you have this wonderful wonderful scene in which the bugs attack John Savage 
yeah. You have the yeah. wonderful scene which the bugs attack Dean Stockwell That's and they right. swarm them. Oh, and you've got good, the wonderful yeah. body horrors they're crawling mm-hmm, in, in their mm-hmm, mouths mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. No, I, I don't have an issue at all with this. I, I would happily place this amongst my, you know, top ten creature features, mm. um, because I, I think it's it's not perfect, but it, it's it's not far off. To me, I could it's it's one of those I could stick on any time. I love the the atmosphere, I love the setting. I know it's uh, Vancouver, uh, or yeah, British, Vancouver British masquerading as uh, yeah, as Maine, but it could be Maine. It really could be. It's got that vibe to it. Let's go on to talk about the creators. Of course, it's directed by Ellery Elkayam, the New Zealander who uh, shortly after this directed Eight-Legged Freaks mm-hmm. before then going on to make the uh, the infamous uh, Return of the Living Dead 4 and yeah, 5. He really kind of undid the, <laughs> the, good, the goodwill of they, uh, they nest and Eight-Legged Freaks with that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, it's written by Daniel Zellman and John Clayton, who we got to speak to, didn't we, uh, mm-hmm. last year? Yeah. In our Anaconda booklet. Um, and weirdly, we didn't speak that much about they nest, which is no, a bit of a missed no. opportunity. But... They were saying how, um, so John was saying how they were they were both classmates at Harvard. That's where they met. And um, prior to they nest, they had initially had two pictures rejected for for films. One was a uh, was going to be called the Tomb, mm-hmm. which was about sort of apes rampaging on an island in the South Pacific. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, Congo got in the way of that. <laughs> and they also wrote a script called Fool's Gold, which did get taken by Warners but didn't get made until you didn't get about until 2008 that's right yeah. with uh, Matthew McConaughey so yeah and, and also you know Dr. Byrne is played by Thomas Calabra who's fine you know um, fairly the 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 big the problem of the movie mm. is while it's while there are some really icky bits and the bug attacks are great it's it's much more subtle and creepy and shivery. It's mm. it's a mood and creep driven film. It's not a gross out like the nest, no, 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 for no. example, the nineteen eighty eight mm. movie with which they nest shares a few similarities. You know, island roaches. Mm. They nest as well also has an unmistakable arachnophobia sheen. It's very it's yeah. in the same mm. sort of structure. Mm. The doctor fighting to get people to believe him. But the big big problem, and it's funny really because. Ellery Elkham would, of course, go on to do Eight-Legged Freaks, which completely wallows in the kind of chaos mm-hmm. that he fails to yeah, conjure maybe. up yeah, in yeah, Vain Nest. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't really see or experience much of the chaos that apparently happens in and around the town whilst the bugs get going. Yes, Ben Cahill, he, you know, he he's an interesting character, but Elkham is that focused mm. on him and his story but he sort of forgets to look around how the bugs are affecting the townsfolk yeah, 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 whereas yeah. if you compare it to something like I don't know say Lewis Morneau's Bats which, where oh, it has yeah. this crazy extended bat mm. attack mm. in the middle mm. of the town you know it's like Elkham's almost forgot to show how much the bugs have impacted on everyone else yeah. um, you see a few minutes of it uh, but most of it is sort of the aftermath like bodies laid out here and there mm-hmm. um, it might be a budgetary thing but from reading sort of interviews with Elkham and Claflin, um, the impression I get is that Elkham didn't like the sort of chaotic elements of the right, script, okay. yeah. and he sort of tried to refine it, making it about one character, which doesn't work quite as well as it should, because it's when it gets towards the end and you see the carnage in the town, it's just sort mm. of, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's happening, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But yeah. then, of course, Eight-Legged Freaks is just wall-to-wall arachnid yeah, yeah, mayhem. Yeah, yeah. But speaking about budgets, there, I mean, what was this four million? 
four I mean, million. Surely this yeah. is the biggest budget film we've talked about so far. Would you say? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, supposedly, Octopus was around the four million mm. mark, but I, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. Uh, I think m- we tend to be talking in the region of two million down yeah, over yeah, with yeah, everything yeah. we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big chunk of change, and you know, it doesn't really look too. I don't think it really echoes that on screen. Perhaps. No, no. I, I'd like to think that they've they've clearly paid top dollar for some good. It sounds bizarre saying it, but it's some good insects mm. because the insects look phenomenal. Elkham is extremely good at tapping into the inherent creepiness of cockroaches. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You got all the, he just knows how to shoot them to make them just look so so mm. much grosser than they are. Mm. Um, also performances because Stockwell and Savage uh, are just fantastic. But well, well, Savage of course has been a long time favourite from Carnosaur Two, the mm-hmm. film that we we love dearly. Yeah. Um, and Stockwell at that time, I mean, you look at his post-Quantum Leap career, mm. and he was making some really good choices. I mean, you got those, um, the two movies he did, did with um, Eric Roberts uh, just prior to this, The, the Shadow Man, which mm. was decent, uh, and Restraining Order, which was a great little thriller. And also, um, listen to all the clicks now, um, River, uh, Rites of Passage, the um, Victor Salva film he did oh, in 1999. Man. And I know we're... we're yeah. um, we're, uh... I can't believe you brought Salvo up on our <laughs> podcast. Sorry. Christ. I know, just lost our, our listenership as we speak. But, you know, whatever you think of Salva, and, you know, he may be a grim individual, but he made some um, he made some decent films. Interesting right, right movies. Passage, right yeah, passage especially, um, especially if you look at them with the gaze of mm. a true crime aficionado, yeah, because, yeah. It, you know, we, we talk about separating the art from the artist you can't with no. someone like no. Salva mm-hmm. not in the least uh, but that is another conversation <laughs> for another time and a lot yeah. more that's a, pa- that's a Patreon conversation <laughs> I think yeah that's a Patreon conversation pay us and we'll tell all um, good so uh, we need to mention briefly Kristen Dalton who's a great little supporting character mm. there. she plays mm. Nell Bartle sort of flame haired Nell Bartle who has um, several strings to her bow, be it in a classroom or a grocery shop, which is a great little sort of... Uh, a, run, a nice little running gag it is. going yeah, through it, that yeah. this town is so small that they're just mm. literally pulling people from <laughs> everywhere to do other jobs. She, exactly. She's also very warm, very likeable. She's um, great. Her first notable role, coincidentally, was in Digital Man. Yes. Uh, for Philip J. Roth, who, of course, we spoke about at length on episode five. But no, I, I, think, I just thought she was a really sort of great addition to the to the mm. film really you know not not your archetypal love interest with all the you know mm. all the eye rolling tropes sort of shedded a bit of a, a quirky uh, yeah. vibe yeah. to it um i think for me as well obviously to sort of sum it up it's yeah it, it's well shot well mm-hmm. acted creepy ending's a little bit fudged. yeah 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 uh but the unsung hero is the sort of crawling leap motif to uh, vinnie galea's score You've got the piano mm-hmm. strings. It sounds like scurrying, and it works That's incredibly true. well. Um, and it really does ratchet up the creep factor for what is a a damn good bug movie. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. In a city where the strange rule, Detective Gina O'Bannon has seen it all. What's the story? This body was dumped here. But now, a series of suspicious accidents. All 
those internal organs? Gone. What do you mean, gone? Have left her city in ruins. I have some answers you might not like. I don't think you believe a word you're saying. And Ted Gage may be the only one. This military intelligence. Who can help her find the link to the real killers. Meet the spy of the 22nd century. Very large. Yes, you better believe it. I think there's more to your brother's death. Do you know something we don't? This lady, you don't know who I am. Who else do you think it was for? Uncle Sam, man. Why are you doing this? For the cult? They crawl. We human beings were an interesting species. I mean, me personally, I'd just rather be a cockroach. Look for it on video and DVD. Okay, that is the trailer for They Crawl, the 2001 uh, creature feature, which is, has an AKA of Crawlers. Um, opinions on this might not necessarily be too great, maybe? Mm. Not a fan. No. Have you watched it? But Did you watch it before, like, recently? Um, no, actually. Oh, really? This is the first time uh, I've, I've seen They Crawl. Right. Um, I like Cinetel. <laughs> I like a lot of people involved yeah. with it. I like certain things about it, but on the whole, the film is so wearyingly boring. <laughs> I just found myself completely switching off to it. You know, it's... And to me, the measure of a film, if I'm looking at my phone waiting for it to end or pausing it to go and get a drink or pausing it and then standing and staring out the back window for five minutes just to have mm. some respite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, one IMDb user suggested it was preferable to put a gun to your head rather than watching the film. I wouldn't say it's that bad. You know, there are a lot of redeeming features in it. But on a whole... Um, it is a bit of a chore to yeah, it's a slog. To get through. It's a slog. Yeah. the the big the big plus mm. I like about it. Um, credit to the director John John Allardyce and uh, his editor Craig Kitson, uh, the latter Kitson, being a something of a Jim Wynorski regular, uh, having cut together a Blaze and Project Viper mm-hmm. for Jim Wynorski. Um, they crawl makes very good use of stock footage. It does. Uh, it, within the film, it's been edited from stock footage from Red Heat, mm-hmm. Last Action Hero, Chain Reaction, and Rush Hour. Yeah. Um, though interestingly, it's only Last Action Hero, uh, Rush Hour, and Chain Reaction that get mentioned in the credits. Even oh, though right. the the bus chase from Red mm. Heat is the, is used in the movie, mm-hmm. but it's done extremely well. It's it's integrated into the story mm. nicely it bolsters the production values immensely oh, yeah, the does. film looks much better and bigger than it is mm. uh, considering what it was probably shot for like a nickel and a half in downtown LA <laughs> um, but yeah that's that's good and just as a little aside linking in with the whole schlock and awe thing yeah. uh, that bus footage from the start of the movie mm-hmm. from Red Heat was also used uh, by PM Entertainment in their 1999 film Running Red. Oh, really? So if you ever wanted to have a little triple feature of Red Heat, <laughs> uh, 
running red and they crawl just to watch the bus the, the bus crash go yeah. for it brilliant um, no but it's funny you mentioned the, the Wonoski thing and Pratik Viper because this has a lot of I mean they, they must have shot back to back presumably mm. because yeah. this has a lot of overlap with Pratik Viper which we're going to be covering on a on an episode further down the line, I'm sure yes, we will. Yes, absolutely. Um, because you got, you know, John Allardyce, of course, was um, a visual effects supervisor with Foundation Imaging, which, of course, did the VFX on Project Viper, while Curtis Joseph and David Mason wrote mm. uh, Project Viper. Meanwhile, Tamara Davis was in Project Viper. Um, Billy Kern was in Project Viper. These are members of the cast. Uh, so there's a real sort of overlap there. Yeah, there's a nice symmetry there. There's a symmetry, yeah. And um, it may be preferable to watch yeah, Project Viper yeah, you know, instead. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> no, no, no. absolutely. Um, I will say this, though. The big problem for me is that the film is just plot, 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 <laughs> plot. I don't get a sense of character. No, I don't no. get a sense of anything really going on uh, of course the actual story for the film is that there's been some strange murders uh, going yeah. on in LA mm -hmm. that potentially be could tied to some sort of weird cult an organ removing cult called Trillion yeah however this Trillion group have co-opted some military made cockroaches and are going about killing people with these cockroaches that they can control through sound waves and uh, electronic waves sorry if it sounds confusing, <laughs> it is, because this is a, like the stock footage sort of aspect, mm -hmm. the jigsaw nature of this film is just nutty. It's, the word that keeps popping into my head watching it was workmanlike. Uh, it, it is, and it's as if the film is trying to hit multiple bases, but it just doesn't succeed. It's just messy and unfocused. It's just this weird hybrid between police procedural, cult chiller, creature feature, family drama, military <laughs> thriller. Yeah. And it's this lack of focus which in turn led me to a lack of focus because I had no idea. There's just too much going on. It was like, well, you know, what what the fuck is happening here? It was just wearying. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw a great example of two genres being fused together in the last episode with Boa, mm -hmm. which was prison movie and creature feature. Simple but effective. But here, we're doing all those five or six aspects mm. that you suggested. Plus the rejected X Files episode, really, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Because you've got, you know, the lead character Daniel Cosgrove. He's placed Ted Gage, who's an army ranger, but his brother Brian is one of the people that dies in mysterious circumstances. Yeah, who also happens to potentially be part of the cult. <laughs> Factor in their mother, who's dying of bone cancer. Played by Grace Zabriskie from mm. Twin Peaks. Again, another weird Twin Peaks reference, considering <laughs> uh, last episode. But yeah. There are a few things I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the stock footage is very well utilised. Yep. Um, I like the sun-kissed... Uh, it's got that great LA vibe to it. You know, mm -hmm. you can feel the LA streets yeah, and yeah. stuff. I, I, I like the sort of... Uh, that everyone seems to know about this Trillion cult. It's mm -hmm. like a running joke. That every time <laughs> someone mentions Trillion, someone adds Take a little a info mm -hmm. to it. So, you know, you'll have Trillion, the cult who are disemboweling people. <laughs> Trillion. The cult who believe in blah, 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 blah. Mm. Or Trillion, those bastards who sell uh, old overpriced Nintendo games secondhand at the car boot sale. <laughs> no, it's incredibly daft. Yeah. But it, it's quite charming. And intentional or not, it's probably the most entertaining thing in the movie. Uh, and it alleviates the boredom. Mm. Um, as, as does the presence of Tim Thomason, who uh, joins Brad Dourif in Graveyard Shift and John Goodman <laughs> in Arachnophobia as being one of the 
was great, batshit crazy, oh, yeah. in love with what they do, exterminators, who mm. takes what they do very, very seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's a pleasure to see Tim Thomason in, in any film, but do you know what Mickey Rock is doing in this film? He pops up, um, and then a very bad and unconvincing stunt double mm. does a lot of running on Rock's <laughs> behalf. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a blink and you miss it cameo. I mean, from his wilderness years. Wilderness years, to say the least. Um, but yeah, he plays a little sort of a, a sort of cult orientated. He's something to do something with to the do with cult. It, tiny, I, I tiny thought freaks. we were framing yeah. him as his, as the cult leader to begin with and I was expecting to see him sort of show up in the movie's ending well I don't know because you've got this thing haven't you that surrounds the script whereby it's reported that they had three different um, uh, culprits yeah I mean did you did you get that vibe did you get that vibe where it was like a sort of murder she wrote ending of oh Mm. it's him well they sort of they pin it on first rock because you think oh he's a bit creepy and sinister but then you never see him again Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a character called Professor Jürgen who is tangently linked to this missing brother character and then there's another character who the professor's linked to who goes by the name of Lazarus (laughs) now the fact that Lazarus is supposedly dead and he's not, you know, that should be the alarm bells that this is the bastard behind it all. Yeah. You know, and you can see the second he pops up, it's like, oh, wait, this is the guy. And then yeah. the rest of the threads fall apart. But in the interim, another positive to the film, I do think the CG is pretty good. Do you? Yeah, I'd, I'd have preferred real end, cockroaches. I mean, not, not too many spoilers, but how about the end sequence? You know, when they... Ah, fuck it, let's talk for spoilers. Yeah. I, th- I think we need to... That, the, the giant... How would you, how the hell would you even explain it? It looks like a rhino. Mm, it's it, all the cockroaches, all these sound wave, electronic wave, whatever, mm. controlled cockroaches, they end up joining together and creating like a, a giant cockroach that looks like a massive rhino. Yeah. A very, very cool idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Almost seems like an overhang from something like... Uh, what's, the, what's the Guillermo del Toro film? Mimic. Mm. It seems like something from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that looks kind of cool. It's an interesting concept and one I'd certainly like to have seen utilised more than rather just a two-minute quarter at the end. Mm. I'd rather have seen that than all this cult and military bullshit yeah. that's popping in and out the narrative. There's so many aspects of it that just don't work. I mm. mean, even you know the, the cult leader, you know, who uh, played by Brandon Cara, um, I always call Lazarus because his name is James Lazinski. Um, Groaned. So, yeah, oh, that fits. Um, yeah, it doesn't. And, and it's a shame because I, I think the you know the the idea is there for something quite mm. decent. If you strip it down and it's like a first draft. It is. It's, yeah. It's, so let's just throw everything. It. Let's throw all the spaghetti mm. at the wall and see what sticks. Mm. And none of it. None of it does. You just end up with a few bits that are kind of cool potentially un- uh, accidentally amusing um, and it's just it's, it's almost a shame that this is you know we're, we're ending with this movie for this episode because I don't want to go out on a downer no 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 you know but I really do think that there's a lot better bug movies out there there's a lot better creature features out there so far I would I would rank this as the, the bottom two would you mm. Uh, what do you think of the way it's filmed? Yeah, it's it, it's got that shaky cam police procedural. You know, it looks like a 
friggin' episode of The Wire at times yeah. or something like that. You know, you can tell that uh, director John Allardyce is, is going for the police procedural kind of thing. Mm. I don't think it translates well to, a, to the creature feature aspects, but... Um, it, he he knows how to get material that can be cut into mm. a scene that, while it doesn't work, it it moves the story forward. So I guess there's an energy there, but it's just so plot, yeah. plot, 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 plot. I mean, the DP was Maximum Munzee, who does tend to do a lot better. He he worked with John Teleski mm. across Guardian, Chain of Command and Judgment Day. And, and they were three very, very good films, mm. uh, Maximum Munzee. Teleski was actually the second, I noticed in the end credits, that Teleski's the second unit director oh, of the right, Crawl. So yeah, I wonder if he'd done a bit of uh, additional shooting as per Maybe. what he did on the likes of like, the Pandora Project Pandora, and yeah. things like that. Maybe. Um, but yeah, it was a disappointment. So bottom two, you reckon? Mm, but this, this and Arachnid. Of, uh, yeah? Of we, this is where we have bottomed out with this. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, however, I do think it, it, Vaycrawl does have a, a semi-interesting distribution, at least. Mm. You know, supposedly it premiered on Italian TV in March 2001 um, before appearing on DVD and video in the UK in uh, April 2002. Mm. Um, it ended up, now, another discrepancy, it ended up in the US on video and DVD either December 2002 or January 2003 via Lionsgate. I couldn't find anything else to corroborate other than those right. two vague dates. Um, but it sort of popped up intermittently on the on the USA network, like mm-hmm. uh, they, they Nest. Uh, and occasionally, even to this day, pops up from time to time on sci-fi because yeah. obviously Cinetel and Paul Hertzberg have a, a long-standing mm-hmm. relationship with that network. Yeah, I mean, people have been listening to this for 20 minutes and they're thinking, well, is it worth a punt? I mean, it's an out-of-print DVD. It's going to set you back with five or six quid. It's not on Amazon Prime. Mm. Is it worth a go just to pair it up with a nest and sort of contrast sort of how one should be made and mm. how one shouldn't? I mean, I don't, but I think all all film is worth watching. Even if it's bad, you take something Mm -hmm. from it and you can say that you've seen it. But I I would be loath to recommend it because it's boring Mm. for the most part. But if you're you're interested in some okay uh, CGI work and want to see a giant cockroach creature at the end, I mean, I don't see no problem with you. If you ever came across it in a charity shop or a car boot sale, snap it up and just fast forward through it. But Mm -hmm. do not, I wouldn't go out of your way. No. to see it if you stumble upon it great but you aren't missing anything essential in the creature feature canon by giving this one a miss okay then thank you for listening this has been natural selection home of the creature feature podcast uh go ahead and give us a like on instagram at schlock and all where you can find about all the inner workings of our book um a thousand and one forgotten films of the 90s rental realm while you can also give us a follow on Twitter and have an insight into our innermost thoughts and processes. <laughs> so what's yours? At the Dave Wayne. At the Dave Wayne. And I am at Matty Budrevich. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the Schlock and Awe page on Instagram. Well, you're welcome to stalk Matty and Dave on Twitter. See you next time on Natural Selection. <laughs>